Today's scripture is John 20, 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house were and the doors of the house were, where the disciples had met were locked for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If we retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nail in his hand, and put my finger on the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them. Then Jesus said, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hands and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may live in his name. This morning we come to this story, only found in John, uh, about... Good old Doubting Thomas. Poor Doubting Thomas. I think he gets a bad rap, really. First of all, you know, I think a good, healthy skepticism is something to be lauded, not, uh, not, uh, you know, put down, right? And uh, poor Thomas here, uh, throughout history, has been known as, as the doubter and seems to be lacking in faith when, in truth, he's asking good questions, you know? I think he's just exploring uh, his faith, trying to figure out what what he can really pin those things on. But you know, this isn't the the breadth and depth of who Thomas was. It, at various parts in the book of John, Thomas's name pops up, and he's uh, he's presented to us in a lot of different ways. At one point, we could have been he could have been called uh, Brave Thomas uh, when Jesus was told that Lazarus was going to die. Uh, he was hiding away out in Galilee, and they said, "Jesus, you really shouldn't go uh, down to Jerusalem because they're going. They're looking out. They're going. They want to stone you, man. You're not going to want to go down there." And Jesus says, "I'm going." And you know what Thomas said? Thomas said, "Let us go to Judea so that we may die with him." Brave Thomas. How come we don't remember that part? Good old brave Thomas. Or we could have called him confused Thomas. 
Uh, you know, because he, he, in this dialogue, you know how Jesus does in John, where he's saying, you know, I'm going to the Father, and the Father and me, and the Father and you, and you and the Father and me, and the Father and the, us, and the Father, and the Father will be going, and I'll be coming back, and then I'll be going again, and we're building mansions and this whole thing. So uh, Thomas is, of course, confused, and he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way to where you're going? And Jesus responded with, I am the way, and gets on that whole rhetoric there. So he could have been called Confused Thomas, who again, asked good questions. I think it's a good question. How do we know where you're going? If we don't know where you're going, how do we know the way to follow you? And uh, that prompts Jesus to explain a few things. And yet, so here, but we do have Thomas kind of uh, wanting something more than just the disciples' word for it, that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And my beef with Thomas is not that he, he was doubting, but that he w- I think he was looking in the wrong place for evidence of Jesus' impact in the world. Right? And there's a lot going on here. I have to say, the question here seems to center on whether or not Thomas believes that Jesus rose from the dead. The disciples came and said, by the way, the disciples also had the advantage of seeing Jesus, by the way. I want to point out that, you know, they got, they got to see Jesus already. Thomas just was late. A lesson to those of you who, uh, wander in (laughs) thomas was late and so jesus had to come back right and pick up thomas uh, get him caught up as it were however at the time that john is writing this you know the issue is a little more complicated than just did jesus physically raise from the dead and this episode with thomas accomplishes a few things that john is eager to convey to his own community, and by extension, you and I today. And the first issue is really one of theology and Christology. At the time that John is writing, about the turn of the first century, most scholars would agree, there's a lot of ideas about Jesus. There's not a Christianity. There are multiple Christianities out there that are all kind of trying to figure out what it means to be a follower of Christ and what it means to worship the risen Christ. And uh, there are a lot of different ideas about what actually happened in the resurrection and the ascension and how all that went down and the different, there, there was a lot of debate and trying to come up with language even to describe who Jesus is in the world and, and what exactly uh, the resurrection meant for the world. And one of these groups, the Gnostics, got quite prominent, and they, there, there seems to be this conflict between a portion of the church and the Gnostics, and we read a lot about uh, that particular conflict as we read scriptures uh, that we have today. Uh, but the Gnostics, they felt that the fullness of God could never truly be contained within human flesh, and so they had felt that the resurrection and the ascension were spiritual acts that happened before the crucifixion and that the empty shell of Jesus' body was what was crucified, but the spiritual being of Jesus was an apparition to to all of us there. And uh, suffice it to say that John's version of things came in direct conflict 
with that particular interpretation of things. And uh, one of the things that John's gospel accomplishes, the entire gospel, one of the, one of the agendas of John, all of the gospel writers had their own agenda, I have to say to you. They wanted to convey certain ideas and certain things. And one of the agendas of John is to establish a particular orthodoxy that is kind of right thinking about who Jesus was and what following Jesus was all about, about these particular issues. And here, as Thomas is invited to touch the wounds of Jesus' resurrected body, the gospel writer is clearly in the opposite camp of the Gnostic Christians of the first century. And so, you know, suffice it to say, John's version 1 that's why we have John's Gospel in front of us versus, say, the Gospel of Thomas, which is a Gnostic version of, of things. So uh, it suffice to say there was, a lot of, there was some struggling about which, which orthodoxy we were going to follow, and John won. So there you go. The second accomplishment here is that it affirms our faith in the risen Christ. John speaks to those who would seek proof by commending those of us who have not yet seen, and yet our faith persists. Jesus comes out and says, good for you, all of you out there who believe, even though you didn't have the advantage of seeing Jesus walk around, even though you didn't have the advantage of seeing, of touching his side or touching the holes in his hands. Blessed are you. He's talking to us, you and me. I didn't get to see Jesus. You didn't get to see Jesus. And yet, here we are, full of faith, proclaiming we believe. And uh, we are commended for that. And I would posit that in this day and age, there are a great many who would join Thomas in seeking objective proof. In fact, there was a whole convention of skeptics in town last week for the National Atheist Convention. Man, they're downright evangelical these days, I gotta say. Uh, you know, I, I expect them to knock on my door, you know, in, uh, with a badge and a tie, perhaps, uh, handing, me, handing me leaflets and uh, various writings. But for the most part, so the, for the most part, I think these groups and even Thomas get hung up on all the wrong details. That's what I was saying earlier. It is not the empirical fact of the resurrection that is compelling. It's, we celebrate it, and it is important imagery and language we use, but it's not the fact of the resurrection that I find compelling or that has compelled us over the years. It is the Christ at work inside of me and inside of you that is transforming our lives into something better and transforming the world into something better. In a very real sense, I have seen the living Christ. He is alive and well in the many faces I see here, in the spiritual awakening within myself, and in the sense of call and empowerment I have that the teachings of Jesus inspire. Oh yes, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. And I know that He is living no matter what people say. It's not the nails in His hands or the pierced side that saved us or saved me. It is the sense of God's acceptance and love that I felt through those who believe and the call to love beyond what I thought myself capable of. That's 
what saved me. It is the love of a Savior who is alive today. That's what saved me. And that Savior doesn't walk through the door and say, gee, you know, he doesn't make an appointment and say, I just dropped by to say I love you and uh, keep up the good work and then goes on. No, that Savior rises with me in the morning and is right here within my heart. And it, that is what saves me. I don't have to touch his side or the nails marks in his hand. So on my mind, it's not so much that Thomas had doubts. I have doubts. You have doubts. And to me, it seems inconsequential that he had doubts. What was problematic was that he kind of wanted to stop there and he, he really kind of set things up for failure. He said to his buddies, well, you guys might be impressed. You guys might be real you know, impressed with an apparition walking around, but I myself, if I don't touch his side and I don't touch his hands, I'm not going to believe. He kind of set himself up there, you know, to, to not be, it's a fear of commitment. I think we can all relate to that these days, right? A fear of commitment. I don't, you know, I don't want to get locked into anything. So, but sheesh, that's like testing the power of prayer by praying for a Mustang GT 5.0 in green. And then, because you didn't get a Mustang, seeing that as proof that prayer doesn't work. That's just silly. Although, I will say, Pastor Curtis prays for a Mustang <laughs> GT 5.0 in forest green. Not the, not the convertible, but the, the other one with the, with, the ex, with the good rim package on it and the black trim. <laughs> Just, you know, if you're feeling generous. <laughs> but that doesn't mean prayer doesn't work just because Pastor Curtis doesn't have a Mustang. And just because Thomas didn't get to touch the side of Jesus right away doesn't mean that Christ is not there. Blessed are those who believe without worrying about the mundane details, but are more compelled by what can be gained by faith. Prayer works not because I get what I want, but because when I go to God in prayer, when I kneel, I am changed. I am transformed when I pray. That's all the evidence I need and it's much more compelling than a, a, a mystical moment in time when something outside of the law, the natural laws of the world happens, like a dead man standing in front of us with his wounded side. The third accomplishment here is that it establishes what believing ultimately is. Thomas declares in this moment, when he finally believes, when he finally comes around to it when he when jesus has satisfied his every requirement for finally believing that uh, what had happened really happened when jesus came to him and responded to his desires and needs what he needed to feel comfortable what he needed to feel drawn to christ what he needed to experience god and god came and gave it to him what did he finally do my lord and my god he declared 
My Lord and my God. And, it, and this is the nature of Thomas's belief, and it tells us what belief kind of is about. You know, when the Bible is translated from the ancient Greek into other language, occasionally we run into a language. The translator will be dealing with a language that does not have the word, a word like Lord or a word like God even. And, you, and the translator has to deal with that in, in strange ways. And so in this case, the translator would put on the lips of Thomas uh, that he declares, the one who rules over me and the one that I worship. This is the relationship that is established by faith. At the end of the day, what is accomplished by resurrection is that a new kind of relationship is established with Jesus. A relationship where Jesus is the one who is over me. The one whom I follow. The one who I listen to. The one who I look to for guidance. The one who is my light and my, um, and my escort as I move down life's journey. And, and the one whom I worship. The one whom I honor the one whose gra- whom I lavish my gratitude upon. The one who I acknowledge as worthy of my worship. The one whom I set up there. Because for heaven's sakes, we got to have something sacred to hold on to. Amen? And this is the one. I, I have chosen Jesus. The one whom I worship. My Lord and my God. And here is where the real evidence is revealed. In allowing Christ to be the compass who points us in the direction God wants us to go and ultimately we want to go. We are inviting God through Christ to be in charge. And the experience of feeling led by God And the experience of being a part of something bigger than ourselves. And the experience of knowing the presence of God when we need to know the presence of God. The experience of knowing that risen Christ within our own lives. And being taught by the the teachings here, by the Holy Spirit, And by each other, we know at that moment what a full and abundant life really is. And we will have all the proof we need. Amen? We are invited today not to place our faith in feeling the wounds of Jesus for ourselves, but to declare along with Thomas, my Lord and my God. And to experience faith in the risen Christ at work in you and in me and in us together. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, thank You so much that in our doubt in our anxiety, in our fear of commitment, in our fear of making wrong choices and thinking wrong things, 
You don't judge. That You come to us and You say, walk with Me. And You invite us to be led. You invite us to find in You something of God that we can worship. That we can know the sacredness of that connection to God and connection to one another. God, we thank You. And we ask that You would give us the strength not to get hung up on looking for the proof and being certain of everything, but to seek out an experience with You and a new kind of relationship where You are the leader and we choose to follow. We ask these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.